Hello, and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Deb Aoki, David Brothers, Chip Starsky, and myself, Christopher Woodrow Butcher, you can follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. This week, I'm hosting, hey, it's Chris, and we're going to be covering Our Colors by Gengaro Tagame. The book's so good, I recommended it twice, but David was nice enough to cut it out the second time. And that episode's already released, so he can't go back and put... I mean, he could splice it in now, I guess, but... I mean, now I have to. I was covering it <laughs> you told on this yourself. The, this it's is the bohemian gauntlet. rhapsody of that. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Tagame-sensei, we actually covered for the first time this season when we did Massive, gay men who... Uh, the manga and gay men and the men who make it yada, yada, yada from Fanagraphics. We're covering it this week, and actually just this week, his second collection of erotic material just hit bookstores from Fanographics. It's called The Passion of Gangro Tagami Volume 2. But Our Colors is in his oeuvre of general interest manga about being gay and being gay in Japan. Notably, the first book in this particular series was My Brother's Husband, which was released in Japan almost, I guess, seven or eight years ago now. And it ran four volumes. It was released as two volumes and then eventually one giant tomb, uh, tome in, in North America in English. It was a really important work in Japan because it was the first time a mainstream gay magazine had actually run a manga about being gay by an out gay creator. It was about a guy, an overseas, a dude from overseas who comes back after his partner passes away to sort of pay respects to his family and his partner's twin brother. And he ends up staying at the house and becoming sort of an uncle to his daughter. And it's about, it's about the misunderstandings between gay and straight people. And it's sort of written, it ran in a straight magazine called manga, manga action uh, or Gekken, a monthly Gekken action or something, Gekken action. Uh, I should have probably written that down. (laughs) Yeah. It was basically like, Oh, what are gay? What are gay people? And uh, for a straight audience and, I wanted to maybe skip that one and move to what are gay people from a gay person's perspective, which is what Our Colors is about. It's a coming out story, coming of age story. So before I get any further into what Our Colors is, why don't we let Pantheon, the publisher of this book, tell us what it is. About Our Colors, a mesmerizing coming of age and coming out graphic novel by the genius writer-artist of the Eisner Award-winning breakout hit, My Brother's Husband. Set in contemporary suburban Japan, Our Colors is the story of Sora Itoda, a 16-year-old aspiring painter who experiences his world in synesthetic hues of blues and reds and is governed by the emotional turbulence of being a teenager. He wants to live honestly as a young gay man in high school, but that is still not acceptable in Japanese society. His best friend and childhood confidant is now a young woman with whom everyone thinks he is or should be dating. And it would be the easiest thing to play along. She knows he's gay, but knows, too, how difficult it is to live one's truth in his situation. Sora's world changes forever when he meets Mr. Amamiya, a middle-aged gentleman who is the owner and proprietor of a local coffee shop and is completely unapologetically out as a gay man. A mentorship and platonic friendship ensues as Sora comes out to him and agrees to paint a mural in the shop, and Mr. Amamiya counsels Sora about how to deal with who he is. But it won't be easy. Mr. Amamiya paid a high price for his freedom of identity, and when a figure from his past suddenly appears, the situation becomes a vivid example of just how complicated life can be. Uh, that's a really that's the longest that's so long uh, thing we've ever read. Yeah. It's so long. Yeah, Pantheon does not f around. They're like book copy. This could have. Like, I thought be... it was done before you no. said the cafe owner's name. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the fr- that's the first paragraph of this colorful text. Well, it is our colors. And... Maybe because this book is so big, 
Yeah, right. It's your most manga they had space. <laughs> it's three whole volumes in Japan, so yeah, maybe they just got to cover a whole keep bunch. Keep typing. Of I mean, it's it's I think about like compared to the size of our my brother's house, it's maybe about a good third bigger. Yeah. They actually did end up re-releasing My Brother's Husband in a, an all-in-one volume that's the same size as our colors. Yeah, but it didn't get much attention when it came out. It might have been a pandemic book, which is happening to a lot of titles right now. Things getting sort of released under the radar, which is interesting. Basically, it's a coming-out story, a coming-of-age story. It is about being in the closet and about the process of like how damaging that can be and how freeing it can be to get out of the closet and all the things that go with it. It ended up being a really personal, kind of emotional story for me to read. I wasn't fully expecting that. I had a good distance, maybe, from my brother's husband. So before we dig into it, I dig into it too deeply, because this could be an episode that I just talk literally infinitely about. I want to go around I want to go around the table, and we'll go, uh, we'll go alphabetically this week. Deb, what, what were your thoughts? What were your opinions, your first impressions of our colors? I enjoyed this a lot, actually. I bought the I bought the hardcover edition at Comic Con and was really pleased to see how how beautifully it's presented, mm. and that you can see you know the art is really nice. It's interesting because for me it felt a little less it it felt a, a little bit less like he was on a soapbox mm-hmm. trying to sell gayness to people. <laughs> like where he kind of was in my brother's husband like he yeah. was trying to be the perfect gay and so like it's okay everyone in, enjoy it Look, we're, we're, we're awesome you know gay people are nice <laughs> you know and we, we 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 like your kids and we are so cool and we we like macaroni and cheese you know like yeah <laughs> it, it was you know he tried so hard to be like this uplifting happy story right and sublimate any kind of you know, scary gayness, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, to like, I, I think he was still kind of nervous about, and I'm just making a supposition about how he was going to present this material to a largely mainstream audience. Hmm. Whereas I feel with this book, and he's pretty straightforward about it in the afterward, it's a gift both to his past self and a gift to current young people who are going mm-hmm. through this. I thought it was really sweet, you know, I mean, and kind of nuanced in a lot of ways because on one hand, Mr. Amamiya, the gay man who owns the cafe, kind of is like everybody's dream gay friend, right? You mentor, know, yeah. Mentor yeah. who gives great advice. He's very, he gets very mature, very, like almost like a therapist level, kind of like, mm-hmm. you know how other people think of you? Kind of not your problem. Yeah. Here's what you can control. Very, very mature and very mild. But then what's nice about it is that later on, he reveals that he's actually had complicated and he's had regrets. He's made decisions that he's not proud of. I think it, it kind of makes them all really interesting. And the other thing I guess I liked about this was that he got better at drawing women. <laughs> mm-hmm, much. <laughs> the like, the like soup, I could s- totally see the real life version of that like, older lady with perfect hair that has lunch at fancy restaurants that's introduced and i'm not going to spoil that just yet but it was like oh he really nailed like that archetype of of that lady especially as a japanese lady i thought that was really good i feel like he just kind of thought this out a little bit more like what he was Mm. trying to accomplish and he was using the metaphor of art and colors Mm -hmm. as a storytelling structure he did a lot of visual metaphors he used different types of drawing medium like pencil and ink and wash and it seemed like he was just more confident about what he was trying to say in a certain period of time 
Hmm. I would actually th- throw out a question, but I do want. I'm going to go back and get everybody else's first impressions as well. But knowing Tagami, like you've met him a couple times, he's hmm. kind of what we would describe as a rascal. Like he loves pushing the envelope, <laughs> in, like interpersonally as well in his in his manga. Like he's like he makes wry jokes and says things that are embarrassing because he doesn't. He's very fearless himself. I wonder if the sea gay people are okay ness of my brother's husband wasn't him but instead was an editorial decision and that's mm-hmm. something i thought a lot about while reading this because this seems a lot closer to something that he thinks and feels whereas my brother's mm-hmm. husband did seem filtered through someone else's sensibilities of like what is a straight person okay to read and that's why i think this is more interesting to me mm-hmm. so let's do we'll ruminate we'll come back to that one david what did you think of of our colors i I have a lot of little things that I was going to say. I was trying to figure out where to start while Deb was talking, but I think overall I liked it quite a bit. I, the young man in love stuff didn't really register with me because it's just mm. sort of like straightforward romance. But yeah. I love older guy talking to younger guy about his regrets. <laughs> like that's like yeah, that's a that's a sane <laughs> trope that you you tend to yeah. dig right into. Yeah, <laughs> to the point where after the first chapter, I was like is this a time travel story? Like, is this the Mm. guy that he has a crush on from the future somehow? And it's like a thing. It's not that it turns out. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been in a Korean version of this show though. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It would have been a reincarnation and yada, yada. Yeah. Well, I will say it doesn't contradict it. It could still be true, but it's not supported by the text right now. Let's say Mm -hmm. I was surprised at the art. I think most of all, the way that, like you said, Takame used to do shoujo manga back in the day. He started out his career doing like it very early. He talks about how he was 15 in 1979 in the back of this book. Yeah. And he has kept his pen name from when he did shoujo and BL manga secret. But basically, he started off, I think, as an assistant and then submitted BL work under a pen name, Boys Love Manga, mm-hmm. which was the only real like queer-ish stuff at the time. And that would have maybe been in the mid to late 80s, I think. Okay. So I was just going through my collection and I had a magazine from 1992, a gay Japanese magazine, actually, that had a story by him in it. And it looks like a prototypical version of the work that he did, that he's doing now. But also it has a strong Akimi Yoshida, a banana fish which is technically a shoujo manga, although it has like sort of a masculinist shoujo take. Yeah. And it ha- and it's like a clear BL precursor, like, you know, like, what was that? Shonen Eye, a series, shoujo Eye, <laughs> series, uh, something like that. And that had a real vibe to his early work from 92 that it's mostly gone now. I think he's mostly 100% his own artist, but I think that that's really fascinating to me. So I do think he came from like a shoujo place and reading bl because that's the queer material he had and then eventually sort of developed into his own artist gotcha i was thinking about kind of shoujo manga in general but also how go nagai has a very classic style like kind mm. of like next door to shoujo i know there's some connection that i can't quite recall um maybe an assistant of his or something like that but every time i saw now i was like she looks like a go nagai drawing like it's kind of a trick oh wow i <laughs> can totally way. see that yeah, mm-hmm. like the big eyes, like the expressive face. But I loved every time he would drop the faces back to just like stick figure drawings, like a dot for the eyes, like little Lulu. Yeah. Yeah, super good. So yeah, pretty good book. I've got one major complaint for later, and then one thing that it really impressed me for later too, just to kind of balance it out. Ooh. Ooh. Well, that's I can't wait for both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> 
Which brings us to the next and final alphabetical person, Chip Zdarsky. Chip, first off, thanks for being a good sport about me giving you one volume of manga that was secretly volumes <laughs> <laughs> of manga. I appreciated that a great yeah. deal. What did you think, bud? It's a good thing I started reading it like a week ago. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to like get this out of the way, and it took me three nights. I quite liked it. I've got like weird little nitpicky things with it. Mm. Some of it might just be kind of translation. But for me, Mr. Amamiya was the main character. Like seeing him present himself one way and then kind of have this this past yeah. that was kind of that was catching up to him. And uh, it's funny that David thought it might have been a time travel story because in my head, what what it was, my assumption was when he saw Soro lying there that he was talking to him as if he was his son that he left behind in his marriage. Oh. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. Yeah. I, yeah, keep, keep going, buddy. But, but yeah, I mean, obviously that didn't turn out to be true. I don't think that harmed the story at all. Me coming up with my own fan fiction while reading the story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, but he was, he was the most interesting character to me. Yeah, I, I like the pro- progression of it, their relationship. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was super solid. It was a little weird. It took me a little bit to get into the world because I'm so used to the books that we read on this podcast, where being gay is absolutely fine. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was All trying the to figure that out too. Everything is just. <laughs> Just, yeah. just peachy, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, the opening scene was like, you know, his male classmates going on about how uh, gross, like, the BL manga or the gay manga that they found was. I'm just like, what? Are they reading the same <laughs> books that we are? <laughs> so that, that, that weirdly, mentally, it just took me a, a little bit to kind of catch up to the story and the kind of the reality of the story. And it'll, it'll, it'll always be hard for me to accept the fact that this guy managed to have a cafe exist for more than two weeks with only two customers ordering iced teas. <laughs> that is a very Japanese thing. I know. They're just like, I'm going to follow my dream and open a thing and like rent a dilapidated house for 400 bucks uh, a month and still not quite make rent. Yeah. Yeah, but I've been to those cafes and they're great. And not, not, not to get into it, too much but like i felt like towards the end the the hurricane was a little bit contrived and also just how absolutely <laughs> fine he was <laughs> when, oh well there goes my cafe and the ten dollars a day i make <laughs> i did love that he's really good insurance yeah yeah it, it felt like they needed to come needed like a, some sort of like some sort of event towards the end yeah and and that just kind of became the event Mm. But uh, like I said, like I, I have all these weird little small kind of, like I said, nitpicky things. But like overall, I really enjoy the story. Mm. I thought it was beautifully told. And yeah, like I don't have enough history of his drawings of women. <laughs> I, I noticed that now looked looked really good. I guess we'll get into the spoilers now. The ex-wife looked great. <laughs> I forget the name of the one girl who was asking out. Sorrow. Oh, Mizuki. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That looked like a drawing of somebody who doesn't want to draw, quote unquote, attractive young women. 
yeah. some definite moves there. I think. Yeah, uh, you're definitely right there. Also, okay, sorry. I'm. I'm I know. I'm just. No, going yeah, you're on loving now. it. You're yeah, loving no, it. No. Yeah. It's. I find it so distracting every time Togami draws a character, talking to another character, and one character is in the foreground, and it's their the back of their head facing us. They are smaller than the person that they're mm. talking to. I noticed that, but not until the end. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost a hundred percent through the whole thing. I'm just like, what? Like it's such a weird quirk. Because because he's obviously extremely competent. So I'm just like, what a strange kind of thing. Where Sora hugs Amamiya at the end, towards the end of the book, he's almost a half a head shorter, if not a little bit shorter than him. Yeah. But then a couple pages later, when they're looking at each other, he's almost the same height as him. And I was like, oh, that's a little bit of a weird perspective thing that didn't quite work out. So I'm with you on that. Like check out check yeah, out page license yeah check out page one thirty Soro talking to his mom and he like he goes to stand up and she's like so yeah. much oh. bigger like her head's massive compared to his yeah and then and it's like a consistent enough thing like every time there was a scene like that it was like it would jar me a little bit so no that's that's a quirk of the art for sure but yeah that's interesting because you hmm, that's actually we'll get into that as well. So I do want to say, and if you're listening at home, get your bingo cards out because we're about to fill in a square. I read the first chapter of this in French. Wow. Because <laughs> it came out <laughs> a full, <laughs> almost two years. Sacre bleu. Sacre bleu, indeed. It came out almost two years before it did here, which is mind-blowing that it took so long to come out here. But I'm glad it did. The translation's awesome. The book production is awesome. Like I'm really happy with this physical release from Pantheon. But like I did read the first chapter in French, and I absolutely thought it was a fantasy story i thought and my take on it was he sora was amamiya like sora like amamiya was sora from the future mm. who had come back and was like i just needed you to know i always loved you and as the story progressed i realized it's probably not that but it could still be because amamiya is talking about basically how when he was a young person he hated himself i don't know a lot of gay people my gays if you're listening that's like a that resonated. But he talked about how he hated himself and he was embarrassed and ashamed of being gay when he was young. And it was like, I always wanted to tell you I love you was like, mm. I did love myself. I just couldn't admit it. And it was like all the societal pressures and stuff. And I read it a really, especially in French, because it's only one chapter and it's in French. And you're like, all right, this is going to I can't even imagine what this story is going to be now. And yeah, absolutely. It is a firmly set in the real world story. But I it's funny you all picked up on the fantastic elements of it in different ways because that is exactly how I read it as well. And unlike, I think there was something else we read this season where I was, I was waiting for the like, I can't remember which book it was, but I was waiting for like the weird fantastical thing to happen and it never came. And then I it betrayed my expectations for this one, the less fantastic it, it could possibly have been. The more I started to like the story because he just went realer and realer and realer with the emotions mm -hmm. to the point where I actually had to put it down at one point because he there was a there was a sequence where he was he was talking about some stuff that it was just like, I got to just take a sec. This is this is a lot because it's a lot of the stuff that I especially when I was a 16 year old that I was dealing with as well. So it was good. It's it's hard to be any kind of <laughs> it's hard to be any kind of unbiased about this because. I love Tagami's work. I'm actually friends with him. And he basically wrote a book that was about my teenage years. Not actually, like it's obviously about his teenage years, but I thought that that was amazing, actually. And that it actually is where I wanted to go next. I want to actually take a step back from this work in particular. And we can, you know, we could talk about this work as an example, but 
I'm having a hard time being unbiased in talking about this manga because I'm so close to Tagame and because he's clearly a version of, of his life story. I ran into the same thing a little bit with Sunny by Taiyo Matsumoto, which is about his life growing up in an orphanage and being abandoned and put into an orphanage by his mom when he was nine or 10 years old. Sunny's a really good, very heavy read that I ultimately like got past it and you know talked it up and was a big fan of that book. But it was like, how do you say this manga that you made about your traumatic life experience isn't good? And luckily, I think it's good. Luckily, I think Our Colors is good. But do you guys find it's actually difficult to talk about or review books like this where someone is sharing a really deep part of themselves? Like, and David, I'm going to I'm going to bring you up here. Yeah. You have been so good at sharing choosing what to share from your life and the writing that you do. Like I actually was just I found my copy of Darker Than Blue and I was like, right. Like I think your writing is very good. It's very personal. You Thank share you. bits of your stuff. How like I actually think it's very good, but also how could I possibly criticize you sharing <laughs> such intimate parts of your life? And I think that this is something that as a critic I would like to be b- better about, but I also don't want to go around shitting on people's like deep personal life stories. So I would welcome any thoughts you guys have on that, especially as it relates to the book we're talking about. I can I can do it with friends work. If if I if I know the person well enough, I can like because I can still help them with story structure and voice and pacing and stuff like that. Like if somebody shows me a work that's deeply personal, something that happened, I can I can get into it with them. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, someone I don't know, it becomes very very tricky. Mm-hmm. Like I, I remember once, like somebody came to me at a signing and gave me like their basically their thesis work, which was like a graphic novel. And it was about their own personal experience, but it was about like just horrific stuff that happened to them. Yeah. Horrific. But I'm looking at, I'm just like, Oh my God, this is just like, this person has just had this life, Mm. but also it was just poorly done. Like (laughs) the whole thing was poorly done. And I just like, "I, I don't know. There's nothing I can say to this person. So like, all I could say was like, this is, this is beyond my capacity to actually kind of help you with. Yeah. So I apologize and said like, and basically put the ball back into their court. Yeah. I find, I find that stuff really hard. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, if there's, if there's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we've, we've, we've reviewed books on here before that are like clearly personal, but we can still kind of dig in a little bit here and there on like issues with, again, like, pacing drawing whatever i don't think it, i don't think it's impossible but yeah it's tricky yeah yeah i think as a critic i made some friends made some enemies you know these things happen <laughs> yeah a well-lived and, life <laughs> yeah <laughs> and part of that was figuring out how to talk about works like this how to talk about personal stuff and some of it is you know like the line about like oh it's easier to destroy than to create yeah i actually disagree because like break like destroying something like scare quotes destroying something is very hard to do effectively like to talk mm-hmm. about what it did wrong in a way that the reader will understand and not just saying like this sucks this sucks this sucks yeah yeah like there's like a there's a difference between those two it's it's disassembling versus destroying you know yeah. it's like pulling like it apart to yeah 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 mm-hmm. and say if this book was terrible say if the drawings were bad the writing was bad and it was only about the teen romance like if i were to do like a hit piece on it for whatever reason 
like I probably wouldn't talk about the stuff that was outside of my experience, like the coming yeah. out uh, as a teen okay. parts, like that kind of drama. Like I wouldn't feel qualified to discuss it. But like if the drawings were bad and, you know, his like eyes were in two different places on his head and his nose was like over <laughs> here, you know, there's always an angle to something, a way to discuss something. Mm, yeah. And the personal aspect does matter, but it just kind of tells me, I don't want to say where I should aim. That makes it just sound like really spiteful. It tells me what to pay <laughs> attention to, you know? Yeah. 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 Like in this book, the thing that clicked for me the most was the old man, young man relationship. Like here's yeah. my life experience and a young guy being like, well, here's my bravery. They didn't like conflict directly yeah. like that, but that was kind of like the themes of the two. So that part, like I would, I could talk about that all day, like for pros or cons in the mythical crap version of our colors, which would have a U in the title <laughs> if it was bad, by the way. <laughs> but like this all of my willpower not to put a u in every time i write it by the way <laughs> it takes all my willpower to not correct you correct <laughs> long explaining backstage drama uh, so um, i've never been good at connecting with will they won't they teen love drama things because like i'm 38 yeah. years old like ask them out or don't you know, <laughs> but I do like seeing the effects of that drama on him. Like he straight up has a couple of panic attacks over the course of the yeah. story. And yeah. that's kind of where I would connect and sort of find my personal connection to their personal work. And that would let me talk about it in a hopefully informed and interesting way. Mm. Yeah. So all of that said, mm -hmm. I find myself, I knew the broad outlines of this story from Tagami telling me about them before he wrote it because oh. it is based on his own life. And so it made it really interesting to see how it was being unveiled because someone can be having coffee with you in a literally a beat up rundown mismatched coffee shop in, you know, the, on one of the suburbs of Tokyo. That is clearly what he modeled this one after say, Oh, and then, you know, this, and when I was making, and then that led me making manga and having a best friend who I was in love with in high school and, all that, and I was like waiting for. I found myself waiting for the next part of the story that I knew at a certain part, and then it really did become its own story. And I think that that's what's really interesting is that he started in a place that was autobiographically informed, and then moved into maybe a more universal or even more of a happy ending. You know, like maybe Amamiya was the the mentor figure he wished he had. Maybe Amamiya was him. Like mm -hmm. it just maybe maybe I was right, and they're both just different aspects of him: the confused, scared sixteen-year-old and the forty-year-old gay man who, you know, has made some mistakes, but you know, is still going to live his life fearlessly now. So, it it's made it really hard. It's not it's made it, making it really hard right now to talk about it with you guys, and so I kind of want to just but, give you guys as much rope as possible. But it's made it really interesting to think about all all, all week. I have a uh, what is it? Follow-up question for you. Like, yeah, shoot. Is being unbiased real? whoa yeah we're all informed by our life experiences and yada 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 but like if i come to a work fresh like if i come to work that you guys recommend especially one i've never even heard of before yeah yeah being unbiased in that sense means like i have no preconceived notions about this thing it's unprejudiced is maybe better than unbiased yeah whereas that like a book by a friend i think that you automatically do have a bias you want well i i mean i want my friends to succeed mm-hmm I don't wish them harm or ill will or anything like that. Like I want them to do well. Yeah, you're you're all welcome. He said friends, uh, but, Chip. But, yeah. Oh no! <laughs> wow, brutal. But yeah, no, I I I do want that. So it's like 
if I come to a manga fresh, and we've done that so much uh, over the, I don't know, what is this, episode 80, the 80 episodes that we've done, that like, yeah, I just go and I try, I usually don't have any preconceived notions. And I find that when I do have preconceived notions, I have a harder time with the book because the book either fulfills them and then it's just like, oh, it's not that interesting or it runs against them. And I came with a lot of baggage to a book. Mm-hmm. We just did Witches a couple weeks ago. And that was one where it's like, we all talked about how the first story, like we hit that, we hit those first few pages like a wall. It's not like anything we had read this season at all. It's like flowery and whatever and whatever. And yeah, that first story wasn't very strong. Like it had some really good ideas, but it didn't really work. But like, even but that last those last couple stories that we all liked that is not written like the other manga that we've been reading and i had been like let's read some daisuke garashi and just hit it like like i smashed into that at like full speed and so i think preconceived notions i think bias i think prejudice or when it comes to literary works when it comes to manga does really play a huge factor in your response to it and i'd much rather come to something fresher with something i haven't heard of because it it means that i'm going to not trip over my own feet if that's like a metaphor I can use to describe it. Okay. That makes sense. I, I asked mm. because like the critic thing for me, especially I think about this stuff all the time and I just accepted that I am super biased in everything. Yeah. yeah. There's so many series that I've but read that makes you interesting to, to listen to your bias. Yeah. That yeah because then people like your voice and that's yeah. something that I think is really important as a critic as well. Someone wants to hear what you have to say about a thing, whether you liked it or not. And it's not necessarily about that thing. And, and I think that's, you know, that's the fun of talking to Tagame on the podcast with you, actually, is because your friends, and Matsumoto as well, like, I don't have any famous <laughs> manga conference that I can pull out of a hat. Give it time. <laughs> no, and it's, and I'm not, like, I've met dozens of mangaka, but I'm not friends with all of them. I'm friends yeah. because of childhood trauma with Matsumoto, and that's how we connected beyond just coming to a festival and, you know, hanging out. And then, you know, Tagame, who has is a tremendous inspiration, like, just talking to him about making gay manga and being the first out gay person to do a lot of things in Japan, that's tremendously inspiring as someone who's, especially when I started, was one of the very few out gay people that was doing what I was doing in comics. So mm-hmm. I think that, that that's been tremendously inspiring for me. So so yeah, our colors, I teared up. It's fantastic and perfect and I loved it. And you're also probably, like you're right about the art thing and there's a couple little quirks. Let's go back then and let's circle back to things that Maybe David, you had a kind of a hint that there was something oh, yeah. that you had a quibble. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd love to hear. Oh your yeah, I want to hear that. Uh, <laughs> after after Chris just went on about how he can't even be biased. This is the most beautiful thing. Go no, on, no. David. Go you on, can David. Look yeah. Almost any random page in the book to see this issue I had. Like I hate the question mark that this font has. Like it's so distracting. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so minor and petty, but like it really did like pull me out a little bit. Oh yeah. my god, you're right. And there's no lettering credit, which I thought was interesting. And I assume it's because the letterer was like, I don't want my name on this question mark. It's not cool. <laughs> but otherwise, like the lettering was fine. I thought it was really well done and that kind of thing. But it was just every few pages, I'd be like, man, like, why did they do this one? Like, it's like a <laughs> weird C. But the thing oh. I said that I liked a lot, like, I guess there's not a lot of conversation we can get out of question mark quibbles. But <laughs> the chapter art I thought was really good. Yeah, and yeah. then they did a narrative yeah. trick that I love, where they're like, "By the uh, way, the main character drew this." Like, yeah, I was I was just about to mention that. I'm looking at the page now. It's such a it was really really smart. Yeah, it's so mm. well done. Like, I actually had it in my notes as something to mention on the podcast before I got to that page where they revealed that it's him. And like, it's such a yeah. cool way to tie everything together and sort of, I don't know, build character outside of the story as well. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's yeah. so. Masterful, except for every time someone asks a question. 
<laughs> I also uh, I don't know why because I'm on the I'm on the page now. I was just like I was just looking at it where it reveals it, but also yeah. the page just before it where he's thinking about art styles and he's thinking about graffiti and it's the word graffiti, graffiti above his head it made me laugh out loud. Oh my god! <laughs> That's great. Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> but they did a good job of talking about like what it takes to make a mural too. Like it wasn't just like I'm an artist. I'm just gonna like magically like pop 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 and it's done. Yeah, you know, he's like, "Oh, you know, we need gesso for this part. We need this. We need that. Like, graffiti takes these tools. Painting takes this. Oh, I can just use acrylics. Like, it's so yeah. good. It's so funny because, like, it, it, during that brief moment, I was just like, "Oh, it's funny that he managed to get some explainer manga in there into yeah. this. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. I know I'm confronted with that a little bit right now because the book I'm writing and drawing for Image, public domain." it's it's about like people making comics i'm just like well how into the weeds do i get with this do i you know talk about programs that they have to use or types of ink or brushes like i don't know how much is too much like this felt this this was good for me to see because it felt like the right amount it didn't take me out of the story but it added to the story mm-hmm. which like sometimes what was it was it golden kamui where they talked about like how Everything to prepare a squirrel or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't, this doesn't help me enjoy the story. Whereas yeah. this did. Cause it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. There's steps and he knows the, the process. Like I found that interesting. And I love the, all right, I'll just leave the masters at their work like moment too. Cause that's when he's like, I'm done uh, explaining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From yeah. Mystery. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. So yeah, I did go on at length about, how this one hit for me and i do think i i read a comment actually on someone i follow on instagram i think it's brendan gillett who said our colors came along at the right time because every generation uh there's always going to be someone who's coming out there's always going to be someone who needs a coming out coming of age story and for me this like this just hit like this was this was exactly where i was at where I, you know where i'm at now looking back living life and having regrets and not having regrets and moving forward and it was very personal, but it was also, it felt like a huge part of the story. And I wonder if you guys, if it resonated with you at all, because it is this like very personal coming out memoir, you know, sort of well, semi memoir. We'll talk about that in a sec from a, from a, from a gay man talking about his own life. And then like, did that, re- like did, that was a huge chunk of the story. Did it resonate with you or was it just story at that point? Like, how did you feel? Because for me, it was very personal. And I don't think that's obviously how it's going to land for you guys. But did you, like, other than the will they will don't they have the two teenage boys who are like you know one has a crush on the other? All of the other stuff there was like very much about a, a gay point of view. I want to hear Deb's answer because I feel like I've been talking a lot this one. Same, same. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess I, when you were talking. Chris, I had wondered, like, you know, re- everyone remembers how I got really upset at Journal of My Father because it yeah. really hit a lot of my soft spots. And I wondered whether, you know, whether, you know, this did the same for you because you mentioned you teared up and that, you know, this, the kind of things that they were saying, like, some, like even if it wasn't your personal experience, sometimes like, the way that the things that get said mm. are like, like whether it's touching because like, oh, my God, I wish someone said that to me. Mm-hmm. Or, oh my God, you know, I felt that way or like, I, like, I, like, you know, I'm straight, right. But I've, I obviously have been, the, I've been the now, right. Yeah. I've been, I've been the, the, the friend who gets pulled aside and said, oh, by the way, I'm gay, you know, 
<laughs> I've had to give that talk multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of interesting because then it, I kind of took, like, I could relate to a lot of feelings that Nal was having. You're like, oh my God, did have I ever said anything that offended you by not, by not knowing? Mm. Or, mm, you know, does this change our friendship? Am I just, did I just, most of the times I just kind of go about it like, look, I just, you're just my friend, and I didn't think too hard about whether you were straight or gay. Mm. But, but thanks for telling me because that means a lot to me that you, you felt that you could tell me this. Mm-hmm. But also because I'm older now, I remember that it was much harder and much different when I was yeah. in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I grew up in Hawaii, and Hawaii, you know, like we have mahus, okay? <laughs> well, mahu is basically like a third gender. <laughs> mm. Okay, they're the hula kumus. They're the singers they're the dancers uh there's cross-dressing i mean hawaii has a history of this mm-hmm. I, I went to school with many mm-hmm. so but at the same time i was not close to any of them you know yeah so so it's just like texture in your life but it's not your friendship it's not your yeah like i don't have any gay uncles or aunts or cousins or anything like that so it it happened for me when i went to college Ah. Uh. And you know, you go, to, you go to art school. Of course, you're going to have a couple gay co- classmates. <laughs> Just yeah, saying, a couple straight classmates, and the rest of them are gay. But yes, go on. <laughs> so I guess I was reflecting on the you know the the way that Mr. Amamiya was talking about how his coming out was different, mm-hmm. how he couldn't, he never told his parents, mm. and that you know you contrast it with how Sora's parents, you know, first say a couple things that kind of you know, make him really upset yeah. and really, really make him scared. But then when he decides not to put the mask on anymore and just show how he feels. Mm-hmm. And then the mom says stuff like, I'm going to try my hardest to, to understand this. And the father is the one who you think is going to be the most get out of my house, you damn homo kind of thing. Yeah. He's the one, he's the one who tells the mom, look, don't try to laugh this off. This is serious. He's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was actually shocked by that panel. That was really good. Yeah. So that was, yeah. it for me, it was really interesting because then, then Mr. Amimiya kind of like reflects back on him. It's like, actually, you're very brave and you're a different person than I was, mm. but you're also living a different time than I was. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought those were kind of, you know, interesting things to say, right? I mean, because I could relate to the part about the older, the older mentor who is not your parents, who gives you context mm-hmm. and a, a way of being that feels good to you. Mm-hmm. So there were definitely, you know, things that were resonant and emotional for me, but I think because I didn't come from that, those feelings directly, I think it wasn't quite as emotional, but I, but I could definitely see that for the right person, this is a very emotional and I guess cathartic book, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. For myself, well, obviously I can't directly relate emotionally to the experience of coming out or a story about coming out you can you can get not not close but you can get in the vicinity it's kind of like if i was reading a story about a parent losing a child i would never be able to relate to that but i can relate to the idea of loss uh, losing a loved one to death just not to the extent of like a parent losing a child so mm-hmm. having a secret having a difficult conversation with someone you love, the catharsis from it, dealing with the fallout of it, I think uh, I think most of us can kind of relate at least on that level. Yeah, obviously it's amped up a lot 
when uh when you're coming out as uh gay but like i if the story's well told you can you you should still be able to relate to it on some level i think and and obviously this is really well done and so i'm still able to relate to it just not as much mm. as say you <laughs> yeah well <laughs> more's the more's the pity i thought this was very easy to relate to the specifics mm. like chip was saying of course i agree with chip surprise the specifics maybe not <laughs> But I mean, like the mom reminded me of my mom quite a bit in some scenes. Mm. You know, she raised me on her own. So I have a bunch of feelings about masculinity as well. So mm-hmm. all the masculine relationships in this book were really fascinating. Mm. And I love the moment when the, when the husband, whose name I don't even think I know, was like, please chill. Like, this is serious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he saw what she was trying to do, but he also saw like, I don't know, mm-hmm. he saw something in his son where he was mm. like, we need to hear this out. We need to see where this is going. Yeah. And Deb mentioned this a little bit, but the juxtaposition between Sora's coming out and Amamiya's coming out was great. Because something mm. I've really been thinking about a lot lately is the, like, what progress looks like, you know? Like, when, like Deb was saying, she didn't know many queer people when she was a kid necessarily, or weren't in her family necessarily. Kind of the same for me. And then you grow mm. up and find out you knew a lot more queer people than you thought because the atmosphere is different. Yeah. You know, and I think this book does a great job of illustrating the way that change happens and can be seismic, but still not complete, if that makes sense. Because his coming out story, when the parents are pretty much like okay with it, the next most popular coming out story I can think of in pop culture is X Men 2. You remember that? (laughs) Have you tried not being a mutant? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Burned in my brain. Right? All of us. (laughs) Wow, really? Yeah. It's so, uh, I mean, I, I get what they were trying to do, but like it, yeah. it, it clangs, you know, especially now yeah. in 2022, you know, 15, mm. 16 years later. I think <laughs> this did a good job of showing how messy real life can be. Yeah. Like when the mom's like, look, I didn't mean that that type of man thing is like a gay thing. It's like a parent thing, you know, mm-hmm. parental fear is like a very real thing. And yeah, absolutely. the way she keeps trying to support him and he's like, please stop. Is also something I kind of have with my mom. I felt that. Yeah, yeah. she goes yeah. full. She goes full P flag mom there, and it's just yeah. like I'm going to march in the parade, and he's like, I don't even want to march in the parade. Yeah, like, yeah that was sure. like that felt really real in a way that I I totally loved it actually. So that's, yeah, yeah. But the most relatable thing I think, and maybe the most universal thing accordingly, was the mask that he wears that comes on at certain yeah. points, and it comes on like like a shot. Like it's when it's on, it's for protection. Like that's yeah. super relatable to me. Yeah. Speaking as a guy with like a relatively flat affect and a blank face sometimes. Mm. Well, it's context switching, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I don't know, it's, this is a really lame example, but my mom worked at the university at Hawaii and I could tell when she was talking to someone from the mainland and when she was talking to someone from the Hawaii. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Her voice would change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I used to date a girl when I lived overseas. She was from the UK, but when we hung out, she she spoke American, you know, the accent. <laughs> but when she would call her parents, it was like full on, you know, like London, whatever, wherever she was from, it was high school. That kind of stuff always trips me out, and it adds a lot of texture to this book. I think mm-hmm. we're driving. I was I was maybe seventeen or eighteen. I was driving with my friend Isaac, and we're just going, and I'm just me. Some young dude, I don't know, maybe 20, was like hitchhiking. And we're like, let's just, you know, pull over and give him a ride. Why not? Because we're not doing anything. We're teenagers with nothing to do. Yeah. So we're like, hey, where are you going? And he's like, oh, I'm just going to whatever. I'm like, yeah, no problem. We're going in that direction kind of anyway. It's not a big deal. And I full on code switched into being a like hockey bro 
actually. <laughs> it was all learned behavior from like watching like my parents and like siblings and stuff. And he's like, oh, thanks. It was good meeting you guys. And gets out of the car. And my buddy, my buddy's like, what the hell was that? And I'm like, yeah, I could just turn that on at any point. Because sometimes you have to for self-preservation. Yeah. yeah. And it blew him away. And then when I met Andrew, he introduced me to the concept of Polari, which is the mm. switching the other way and going super friggin' gay. Like Polari Polari is like a gay dialect. I'll put like a link in the show notes. But yeah, you get little bits and pieces of it, but it's like British rhyming slang meets like sex worker dialogue, meets like all these different kinds of things that have become a dialect that's like an under dialect that only huh. it's almost like thieves can't in Dungeons and Dragons if you're a nerd. It's kind of exactly like that. <laughs> yeah, if you're intersectionally nerdy like me. Thieves can't is Polari. It's like you're either a thief or you're gay, and it's like that kind of dialect. It's fascinating, and it's like a whole gay sub language that pe- that has kind of started to come into the mainstream. It got a, a like a lot of the a lot of the language around like queer black like uh, drag kind of language as well incorporate some of that but that's its own thing that comes from its own backgrounds and histories as well like it's fascinating uh, how we use language and how we code switch how we appear to different people i thought the mask uh, the first time it happened was like maybe a little trite i was like oh you put on your like emotionless mask but then the way it's used throughout the book and then when he's about to put on the mask and then doesn't use it at the end and yet mm. it's like Oh, that was a payoff for that. Actually, yeah, that was that would really be good. Crazy yeah. if this was an anime, like the music would be yeah. so good. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Oh, it'd be like old school, like Robotech or something. But yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> uh, on the Polari front, that comes up during the Grant Morrison Richard Case Doom Patrol. Danny yeah. the Street oh. speaks Polari. Yeah, oh, really? Oh. Yeah, people that's could not about it. People could I, not. I read. had never heard this term before today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it's, how hella uh, straight I am, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Back well, to college for you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll intersperse Polari with my uh, short excerpts in French for future episodes. <laughs> I'm just imagining you comparing like Thieves Can't and Polari makes me wonder, are gay thieves unintelligible? Is that what this is? Yeah, it's like a subset of a subset of a subset. <laughs> and if they're from uh, Scotland, even worse. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> right? God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Chris, oh. what was your favorite part of this book? I'm curious. Hmm. Like, not necessarily the most emotional, but the one where you're like, man, like, he nailed this. I felt seen in this mm. book. Mm. That, well, I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we're being real. I felt very seen in this book in a way that I've never have, never have in comics. And pe- things that have come close have been like, Grant Morrison's The Invisibles, which is why it's such an important work to me and a couple of other, mm. like actually uh, Howard Cruz, Duck Rubber Baby, mm. where was like an amazing, amazing graphic novel. And it talks about things in a way that is very complex and does not shy away from that complexity ever. And I think that that's actually really awesome about it. But yeah, this one, I was like, oh, this is me. Oh, this is me. And oh, this is me now. And oh, like, it's weird. It's weird to see yourself in media. And like, I have literally seen myself in media. Like, I am a character in many comic books, as is Chip, as is Deb, actually. David, I don't know where you, if someone has slipped you. Yeah, right? But like, (laughs) it's got to happen. This is the most me. And it's weird. And it's super weird. Like walking down a hall of mirrors almost. 
I kept, he kept saying things that I either said at the time or I have said recently in therapy. And it was like, what the fuck? Like, it, sorry, wow. I'm trying not to swear this episode. <laughs> it was weird, but it was good. Like, it was like, I am so, I'm not the one, I'm not the only person who has ever felt the way that I felt about anything. And that's something that is a very freeing thought that has come to me recently. But I am not the only person that has ever felt the way I felt about anything. So the idea that I felt as upset as Sora did, and there's someone else out there who's going to read that, that's awesome. Like, that is like, God, I wish this book existed when I was 16. Instead, I had to sort of project myself into a, like, rebel anarchist cell fighting for the future of humanity, which is nice in a way as well, but they also liking too. a boy. Yeah, right? They get to <laughs> parties. They all tough. That was good. So yeah, that was the best part of this for me. The second best part of it was like, God, they like it did become Amamiya's story, Mr. Amamiya's story, about a halfway through. And I think Tagame realized that, like, yeah, you if you want a manga to succeed, you you write it about people who are sixteen and trying to find their like sixteen to like eighteen trying to find their way in the world. That's manga. Like that is like young people going out there and doing stuff. And halfway through, he's like, Nah, man, this is about me. This is about like older an older gay generation and like his story is going to resolve itself he's got 40 years until he gets down on mia's age to figure out what who he's going to be and what he's going to do and he still has like i'm a me in part great advice even if he's only just you, you find out all the great advice he's offering like deb mentioned he's only just started living that advice very recently and i think that that's awesome as well like the biggest thing is the best thing about it is like it's never too late to actually live a good, honest life and be yourself. Like whether you're 16 and figuring that shit out or whether you're in your forties and figuring that shit out, that's like the message of this book to, that I took away from it. Like, yeah, live a, live a real life. Who gives a fuck what other people think? Just try and be good and try and do your own thing. And I think that that's awesome that this, that that is a book that exists for young gay people is good. There's Yeah. I could keep going, but uh, no, I, I want, but I do want to say, like, uh, compared to other books that you know have been held up as being, you know, positive and you know a must have in your library collection, like Gender Queer, which we talked about before, mm -hmm. this has almost no, zero, problematic, nudity, mm. sexual contact, or mm. or you know, I mean, not, I mean, it's it's very very PG thirteen at most. Yeah, even more so than My Brother's Husband, which has that remarkable shower shot where you don't really see anything, but it's still just like Tagame was getting bored and wanted to draw a very handsome, burly man in a shower. We'll put that in the show notes, guys. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but I want to go back then. I The one thing that when I read it, I sort of I laughed out loud because I was like, oh, here we go. That's This is the, the, review, the review line. What did you think about The Kiss? Man, I spent the whole book hoping it wasn't going to happen, and then it did, and I got it. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, That's this good. is fine. Like I said, the or no, I, Chip, Deb, what did you think before I get too deep? Once I realized what the story was about, I didn't think there was going to be a kiss. Yeah, like when they first meet, I'm like, oh, is this going to be like kind of a will they won't they romance between them in a yeah. way? And then that that thought left my head. So when it actually did happen at the end, I was kind of taken aback a little bit, but in a nice way because I, I think it really worked for the story. Uh, it was a very sweet, tender moment. Mm -hmm. It was a kind of a weird bit of closure for Mr. Amamiya. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it was super sweet. Mm. Deb, 
Did you have a thought on it or did just did it just I guess I was worried about it too, you know, like Mm -hmm. I call it bunny drop syndrome. Yeah, and they did address that in the text like three or four times. Like, is there anything untoward happening here? Mm-hmm. And they're just yeah. like, no, and that's gross that you would ask. Actually, <laughs> so yeah, and that's I thought that that that's been used as a as a cudgel against gay men in general, right? It's like, yeah, oh, absolutely. they're predators, they're groomers, you know, they're stuff like that. So I think it was handled sensitively, but also kind of like when we we're talking about sweetness and lightning, right? Where it's like, oh, this high school kid and cooks dinner for this her teacher his te- and, her teacher and uh, his daughter like you know yeah. it's makes you nervous right because manga does go there and it ain't pretty God. um but this was i thought it was interesting because on one hand you think it's not outside of the realm of possibility that they would be you know mm. an april december relationship that's, <laughs> that's not uncommon in gay couples i mean i know several like that but mm. also to it the the part there where he kind of where they after the kiss, mm. where Mr. Amamiya basically says, "You're my first gay friend. Yeah, you're my first yeah, yeah. friend that I know your real name. I know your family. I know more things about you." Because then he reveals that all the other gay people I've I've met so far were hookups. Yeah, yeah. So I, that so that gave me a, a feeling like, oh, okay, the kiss is kind of like. I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily you know like they're gonna hook up but it's kind of like this it's i think it's kind of this more nuanced act of friendship and connection and affirmation i'm really weirdly weirdly lucky that i got to have my first kiss be something that is actually special Mm. i was really without going into too much detail it was with someone that was really special and i know a lot of people from their first kiss to their first time it's usually not a great feeling and people put a lot of pressure on it and a, a lot of and it doesn't work out great and you maybe feel weird about it afterwards and so the idea of this you know, 16 year old going, look, you've changed my life in such a positive way. Can I kiss you? And having that happen and just be like, okay, that's cool. I'm good now. And like, and then walking away, like that is something that every gay boy has been like, God, I wish I could have the perfect first kiss with like the person who changed my life for the better. Yeah, yeah. And maybe you don't want anything else and maybe you don't want to do anything else, but you just want that moment. You just want that like time and that memory. And it really, really felt good and real, but also I am the I'm part of the problem. If you're going to find a problem with this, I am obviously part of the problem. I'm the gay guy who's like, yeah, that was fine. So I I am really curious because it's the the world has gotten insane about like any kind of gender expression and especially in books, especially in something that could be considered for young people. That like I wasn't sure how this is going to land, but I'm happy to hear our panel of you know intelligent people yeah. <laughs> are all like, yeah, it worked for the story and it was a nice moment. And then it what wasn't gross and. It ended firmly and they didn't, you know, get together afterwards. Yeah, that's great. Would it have been to its detriment if that kiss didn't happen? This that the story would that the story would not feel as satisfying as it I think it would have been as good to me because the kiss came out of nowhere, which was also a reason why I think I was surprised initially. Yeah. But it added like it's like a, a narrative black hole not black hole, that sounds bad. It's a super dense narrative like moment. Yeah. There's all these things coming to the fore. Amamiya finally getting to kiss a person he never told he loved. Sora getting to show his appreciation and actually, like Chris was saying, secure like an amazing first kiss with no expectation of anything past that has got to be kind of freeing and almost like a coming of age sort of thing for both men, I would think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That delayed coming of age, like there's been a lot written about it, so I won't get too deep, but like gay men, yeah, especially if you can't be yourself all the way through 
high school or, or university, there is that second coming of age, people in their like 20s and 30s and, and even later. Like, yeah, I've met, I know people that came out in their late 40s and it sort of changed their life. Not Thankfully, not quite as much as this particular episode, <laughs> this particular yeah. issue did. But yeah, it's it's a for real thing. So finding that kind of like closure in that moment, like, yeah, I could see how people could be squicked out by it. But I can also like, I think it was pretty well handled, but also I'm, yeah, I don't necessarily know that I'm the best arbiter on that one. So yeah, yeah thanks guys. That's but I cool. think also being both being straight and talking about this for a podcast made me, even though I did like pause, like I had to keep thinking about it because I knew it was going to come up. Mm. And part of it is that if it was a straight kiss, like between an older man and a younger lady, I don't think I would have been as mm. like narratively satisfied by it. it there's different mm. subtext there. I feel. Yeah. And mm. you know, like dating is hard enough as a straight dude in my experience that I can't imagine doing it with essentially handcuffs on with what you can, can say, can't say who you can be seen with, like who yeah. you can touch. And so it just made sense at that moment that like, this is actually like the last gift they're going to give each other, you know, yeah. very poetic rather than like sexy. I liked it. I liked it as the previous gift, which was sexy, which was <laughs> sorrows crush, giving him that pinup. <laughs> yeah, like, it was hey, like, I it thought was like, you'd like this. Yeah, it was. It was just. Uh, it was. I. I love that scene, also because it was like, what's the phrase? Like the roosters come home to roost. Like, like he named the actress. <laughs> like, this is him. This is him with the mask on, giving him the name, and then his friend just be like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna do this for him. This is gonna be great." And the messy part is that's still a sign that his friend really cares about him. I know. It's really sweet. Yeah, it's so good. He's like, yeah. and I love that the expression on his on Sora's face, right? Because he's like, like, oh, supreme happiness, supreme unhappiness. Like, <laughs> there's, and, and so here's, okay, here's a weird thing. This is a weird tangent. But oh. there's something quite queer about straight dude giving another straight dude an image to pleasure himself to. Yes. Yeah. Actually. Like, it's it. Like I, and this is a this is a thing that I always had with. Uh, I'll just say it, like, I, I shared a studio with Cameron Stewart, who obviously is persona non grata for good reasons. But like he would always just do these like sexy pinup drawings and post it online, and all these dudes telling him how sexy they were. And I'm just like, oh okay, like I get it. You're just you're drawing these images of women to get gentlemen off. I think that's fine. Like because I'm yeah. <laughs> my sexuality was much less defined than than his and he was like no no that's not it at all i'm like what do you think like you're <laughs> what do you think you're doing here <laughs> i like it i think this is a great step for you yeah. personally so so this scene is just like i just love that idea just like the teen straight boy just being like here you go man like the sexy lady for you go do with it as you will thumbs up <laughs> it's I, so think it's, I think it's wonderful in our culture like it's super yeah. it was common when i was a kid you know there's the whole like oh we found a bunch of playboys do you want one and it's like well from the trash can you know <laughs> <laughs> what am I, I think i don't know i feel like i've i've, I've, I've probably told the story before but like yeah one of my funniest weirdest queerest high school memories was like me and a buddy my buddy he moved away and then he came back for a visit and we were in his bedroom and he, he brought with him like some magazines that very much his and my thing. I believe the magazines were called 40 plus and 50 plus. 
Nice. I think you know exactly. <laughs> and we were just like, we were in bed, we we're just reading, we we're like, oh man, these are great. These are great. Yeah. I'm like, oh man, I'm just so, so ready to just, you know, go to town. He's like, yeah, yeah. What if we just did it? I'm like, yeah, okay, all right. But like on the floor on either side of the bed, <laughs> so we didn't see each other. We could hear everything going on as we just like. <laughs> I am. This is uh, insane. <laughs> you know, there's you know there's some uh, things about how guys relate and hang out with each other. That I just have a hard time understanding. Oh, yeah. oh is that one weird. of them? Yeah. Well, no, yeah. It's kind of like, like I had I had guy friends who would like cut each other's hair. Right? They would get yeah. together and they would do barber sessions with each other. And then one time he says, "Oops, too much." And then he just shaved. He says, "That's okay. I'll shave. I'll shave it bald." I'm like. <laughs> If yeah. a girlfriend ever did this, we would never <laughs> talk to each other ever again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's is it homosocial behavior? Is that the term for? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's this whole like yeah. class of stuff that like you know straight guys do that's pretty queer, and no one really. Yeah. I think it's just learning. Like it's how we learn about sexuality. It's how we learn about ourselves and like the mm. the macro sense. Yeah, mm. yeah, one hundred percent. I think things are changing too. Yeah, the whole. The whole kiss the homies goodnight meme is definitely rooted in a changing series of behaviors that is mm-hmm. uh, that is going on right now amongst the young people where it's like yeah it you get if you if you're in a world where you can be like yeah I'm gay and th- saying that out loud isn't a big deal then you can say yeah I'm straight and these behaviors that I do are straight behaviors because I do it because I'm straight but my friend is gay and that's not a big de- like it's not a big deal or you know whatever and I think that that's like definitely changing how we approach all of this like yeah yeah, yeah. And I, I hope that they that the 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 you that is out there right now with his buddy looking at 40 plus and 50 plus magazines they're mm. on the same side of the bed complimenting it would actually on be on the internet now possibly reddit so yeah possibly, reddit, <laughs> yeah. possibly got actually they got a discord where they share stuff together yes yeah <laughs> and everyone's like good job buddy excellent technique and uh, that <laughs> is what being a bro is in 2022 uh-huh. Yeah. That's what FaceTime has ruined for everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Wow. I almost want to go out and be like, we'll be right back and not even wrap up the episode after Chip's story. <laughs> but does anyone have any final thoughts they want to share before we go to the end of the episode? Any 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 final Yeah, I'll do a quick ones? one. Yeah, go ahead. You've been really curious about like how we relate to it, what we're relating to in the book. The bit where he where Sora goes to the bathroom and cries because someone is there for him. Yeah. Super relatable. Yeah, hundred you know, like, percent. I'm the son of a single mom. Like, it took me forever to like understand what depression is. Uh, that was the scene where I was like, "Ah, man, like this almost got me." I'm not doing emotions this year, but you came close, King Gorg. <laughs> <laughs> so well done, very well done. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree with everything you just said for I, reasons. I want to give a shout out to Chip Kid for this wonderful book design. When you compare this cover to the Japanese edition, he really went with the the colors theme of yeah. this book because you know it's a black and white comic, and Sora keeps talking about different shades of blue and red, which is kind of tricky. Mm-hmm. But like, what's interesting is like like Sora means sky, so he's yeah. blue, and Shiro Amamiya is white. So I thought, who's red? Because now doesn't mean red, and then it comes to that moment when he's he's coming out to his parents and he's, he realizes that he's seeing red, but it's his anger. Yeah. And he says, mm-hmm. the anger is important. You shouldn't forget it. 
So when you look at the Japanese edition on the cover and even the French edition, it's just like this, you know, pleasant, full color illustration of, you know, Mr. Amamiya, you know, and uh, Sora talking and then, you know, now it's in the background, it's full color. This one, like he, he, he picks like the end pieces in the back is blue and in the front it's red. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it's the flap is just right lying down. Yeah. It's just beautiful book, book design. Just everywhere around it. That chip kid. He's, he's going one. places. He's yeah. the best chip, I hear. <laughs> he's Only <top> alphabetically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chipper, any final thoughts? Are you good for the uh, good for the week? I think I ended on a high note here, so I'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> go out on that. Give you a salute. You're the king for us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wow. And I, uh, this has been so good. <laughs> well, this has been Our Colors. It's out now from Pantheon as one volume. Tagame's previous all general audiences book, Our Brother's Husband, is available as a two volume and a one volume edition. And Fanagraphics has just recently reprinted The Passion of Gengro Tagame, if you like your Tagame work, a little more sexual. And both of those volumes are available now as well. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. We will be right back after the break. And we're back. Hopefully that break was lucrative, but also short because who likes commercials? I like right? I mean, stuff to do. We like our wallets like commercials. Thank you for listening to the podcast so much. You're paying all of our rents. All right. We're, we don't have time for Q&A, but we do have time for some quick shout outs. And David is chomping at the bit. He has got a shout out. He wants to share with us. David, what is your shout out this week? So you know how the guy in Our Colors had kind of a crappy cafe with bad design and ugly chairs and bad tables and stuff? Yeah. So there is a manga that is called Soridemo Machi wa Mawateru, and yet the town moves in English. Mm. And it's about a maid cafe, which is maybe the crappiest maid cafe you will ever see. <laughs> that sounds great. It's run by an old lady who only kind of knows what a maid cafe is. So it's just a regular cafe where people dress as maids. And mm. it's sort of like a slapstick. It's kind of like a Japanese Nancy in a way where it's like, it's really supernatural, mm. really metaphysical, like slapstick jokes, characters die, animals talk. It's super funny. I think it's streaming on Hulu. You can read the manga on Crunchyroll. Sadly, there's no print, but while reading our colors, I kept thinking like, oh, this is like the other version of the Maid Seaside Cafe where no one visits and most everything is bad, but people still have fun and like there's a nice little community. So, and yet the town moves. You should read it. I'll put it in the show notes. Thank you very much. This is great. Uh, my my shout out is also kind of uh, themed along the same lines. I started watching The Bear, oh. which it, it's, it's starting to air here in Canada, finally. It's about like a fine dining chef who moves back to Chicago to take over his deceased brother's kind of sandwich restaurant, kind of a popular rundown place. And I was thinking about it a lot when I was reading this because the restaurant is chaotic. They're barely keeping their heads above water, even though they're clearly selling a lot of these sandwiches. And I'm just like, why did Mr. Amamiya, uh, <laughs> why was he able to keep that place going with zero customers and to show the bear, they can, can barely keep the place going with all the customers. It's just, it's the disconnect there between America and Japan, I guess. Hmm. What if it had just opened and they showed up on like day two? 
And yeah. then the hurricane hit on like day 18. Yeah. <laughs> he got off light. He, didn't, he got, probably got all his rent back. That would have been really good. Yeah. 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 It was, it was the, the bear is amazing television and it feels like a nice kind of adult antidote to a lot of what's being shown these days. Hmm. Nice. Well, going in a different direction, my shout out this week is something exceptionally juvenile. I have been playing Fortnite with my nephews. What? Yeah, I uh, avoided it up until literally two weeks ago, and they're all playing Fortnite, and they're like, Uncle Christopher, please play with us. And I'm like, fine, because it's a thing I can do for my computer, and they live, I don't know, like an hour's drive away. So I've been playing Fortnite like I am some kind of teen, and I have all the <laughs> I have the mics turned off. I don't have group chat. I don't want except for like when my nephews are playing with me, I don't want to know anything that anyone has to say that is also playing that game, and yeah. I don't want to accidentally have anyone hear anything I have to say. Like, when I shoot them in the face. So like everything is blanked. Anyway, uh, much like a manga series that I like a great deal or a TV series, I have been binging Fortnite and I have, I am a level 110 after 11 days, which is a pretty good level. Uh, <laughs> normal. Yeah. yeah. That's like a very normal. Yeah. Like Andrew will go to bed around 11 or midnight and I'll just play until 6am. Yeah. I'm doing about 10 levels a day. So, Jesus. yeah. How are you getting anything done? Oh my God. It's actually, sorry. And I'm packing when I'm not doing that because I'm yeah. moving too. So <laughs> it's been a weird, it's probably the thing that's keeping me sane while we're packing and I don't have to think about my move because I'm just thinking about like shooting people. And they introduced Dragon Ball characters into it this week. So oh, yeah. I have like literally been like hopping on the Nimbus cloud and like Kamehamehameyang fools uh, to death. It is Can so good. Batman? You could. I joined too late, but I currently can play as Goku, Beerus, or Indiana Jones or Darth Vader. So I'm doing pretty good right now. Those are all, you know, I, I did invest $20 into it. I don't feel good about that, but I need to seem cool to my young nephews and my brother. <laughs> so, you know, we all make sacrifices. Anyway, I cannot recommend this game in any way, shape, or form. It is a microtransaction hell, but... If you find yourself having to play to connect with your family, there are worse ways to spend four to five hours a day. I wow. have some advice. Oh, this shoot. Book yeah. Recommended by a friend. It's called Our Colors. And in it, a guy says he never regrets things that he did, only things he didn't do. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you should only regret not playing Fortnite 24 7. <laughs> yeah. 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 I feel good about where I'm at right now. I hit the level cap for the season and I kept going like, for nice. some reason. So, oh, my so God. yeah. So that is a thing I have done. And instead of watching TV or participating in culture, reading a book, like I'm sure Deb is about to tell us about. Deb, did you read a book this week that you want to tell us about? Oh, so many. So many. <laughs> but I'll keep it on theme this year. This, I mean, this episode, because as David mentioned, the Maid Cafe one, I was going to mention something. Well, I don't know. Something that I just basically enjoy. But I said, I'll go with the theme. The theme is Our Dreams at Dusk. It's basically by Yuki Kamatani. It's, it reminded me of our colors because it's very similar mm. in that there's this, the characters are dealing with their sexuality and they go to this place where they, they meet adults who are different gender expressions. One is ace, one is gay and lesbian. And that it, it helps, gives them a, a safe space. I know safe space is a really trite term nowadays, but it gives them a space to explore who they mm. are, who they want to be. But it also has this kind of twist of magical realism and the art is beautiful. So I was going to say, if if you liked our colors, go check that one out, because I think you'll also like that one a lot. 
it's similarly heartwarming and I guess, I guess positive and dramatic. It's a good read overall. But the trashy read is Come the Mirror by Rumiko Takahashi. Oh, I really wanted to read that one. You were telling us about that. What's it called? Come the Mirror. It's a bunch of short stories by Rumiko Takahashi. Oh, did my job publish that? I should probably know yes, about Yes, your job things. did publish that one. <laughs> now, the only... What is up, what is totally worth the price of admission for this book is the last story at the end. Oh. It's basically called My Sweet Sunday, and it is dueling autobiographical comics by Mitsuru Adachi and Rumiko Takahashi. Mitsuru Adachi, you may remember, did Short Program, which we covered this season, the baseball manga about the Cross Game. Cross Game. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> oh. They each did like three, three page chapters at a time, going from their childhood, their high school, their time, they're learning how to be a manga artist. She meets a Ryo, Ryoichi Ikigami who did the Spider Man. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then how she, she goes and learns from Kazuo Kuike and how they met each other and how she used to be an assistant for Kazuo Omezu. Mm. Here's that scene where she meets Ikigami Sensei. She's like, oh, oh my God, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it is fabulous. And it just kind of ends with them at a Shabu Shabu restaurant eating on Shonen Sunday's dime saying, Give me more meat. Nice. Mm. I like it. <laughs> That's super nice. It's fabulous. Go. It's that's worth the price of the whole book. Nice. I love we all had themed shout-outs this time. Yeah, that was really yeah, good. Good job. <laughs> In the interests of following up all of your shout-outs, the first maid cafe Andrew and I went to what was the only maid cafe I've ever been to was in Akihabara in 2007. And they sat us and they sent over the only lady who spoke a little bit of English to like do the whole maid cafe thing. And we didn't know any of the songs because we didn't grow up. We weren't little kids in Japan, so we didn't know any of the songs. We didn't know anything that was going on. And finally, she's like, are you brothers? And we're like, yes, <laughs> actually, because couldn't, she couldn't conceive that two gay dudes would be in a maid cafe. It was the most delightful thing. And we still do more delicious. Like they point and they do like a magical spell to make the food that you order more delicious by like doing a oh, whole wow. song and dance routine and like hitting it with a magic wand. So we still do more delicious. Usually we put like salt and pepper on something or spray ketchup on it, which was also part of the Maid Cafe experience. Wow. Which was delightful. So uh, you made me remember that. It's uh, in my heart forever, and I'm never going back to a Maid Cafe as long as I live. It's not for me. <laughs> you and your brother. Yeah, me and my brother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who, very close family. Yeah. Very, very close family. So close. <laughs> Wasn't that anyway. the other Tagami book, My Husband Slash Brother? <laughs> my husband slash brother. I don't think that one's been released in English, actually. That's one of his shorter works. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> oh, man. I got to email him that one. Yeah, maybe we'll, uh, maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. All right, so this has been an episode of Mog Explaining. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with Kowloon Generic Romance. Stay tuned. This has been Manga Explaining, episode number 78, Our Colors by Gengaro Tagame. Thanks so much for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing Kowloon Generic Romance, published by Yen Press. Want to pick up a copy? Consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. You can find one near you at comicshoplocator.com, or check out your local library for print and digital lending options. You can also follow along with our complete reading list and extensive show notes at mangasplaining.com. And hey, check out our newsletter and digital publishing endeavor at mangasplainingextra.com. 
Thanks, as always, to DADS for their musical accompaniment this episode. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.